Welcome to Right on Track, a songwriting podcast. Thanks to Tone for tuning in. I'm Demi Michelle Schwartz, and I'm thrilled you're joining me on my songwriting journey. So kick back and relax, don't fall flat, and remember, stay right on track. Welcome back to Right on Track. Joining me today is Buddy Joel. Hey, Buddy. Hey, Demi. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Well, uh, as a friend of mine used to say, I'm feeling fine and looking well, but that's my opinion. (laughs) Perfect. Well, I'm so excited you're joining me today. You have a very impressive career, and I can't wait to chat about several things. But to kick us off, can you give the listeners a glimpse into who you are and your musical journey so far? Yeah, uh, so um, my name is Buddy Jewell. I'm from a little town in northeast Arkansas called Osceola, Arkansas. I've been in Nashville for a little over 30 years now. I moved here in uh, January of 1993. In 2003, I I was blessed to win the first season of the TV show Nashville Star, and I've had a couple of big hit songs since then, and uh, number one uh, on the album charts and stuff like that. So I'm very blessed and uh, continue to run around the world, wear a cowboy hat and play guitar and people pay me to do it. So I'm very <laughs> Perfect. Oh my goodness. Well, we definitely are going to chat more about Nashville Star. But before that, you did a lot of vocal work for some incredible demos. So can you share a little about your demo journey? Sure. Uh, for the audience out there that may not know what a demo is, it's short for, it stands for demonstration recording. And I was a demo singer, a demonstration singer, and uh, publishing companies, songwriters would hire me to go in the studio with a full band. We'd make a recording of their song, and then they'd play that recording for stars like Garth Brooks and George Strait, hoping they'd like my version of it well enough to record their own. And I sang on over 4,000 of those recordings in about a nine-year period, and several of them went on to be... uh, album cuts and a few of them were number one so the biggest song i sang on was a song called write this down for george Strait." uh it was the number one leanne womack had a a a great song at number one with a song called a little past little rock that i absolutely love and uh and then several other uh number ones uh and and album cuts by trace atkins of gary gentry george jones gary allen uh goodness i i and i'm sure there are others but that's so incredible. So you definitely had your foot in the door with the music industry doing all of these demos and were liked by the publishers and all of them, but you had quite a struggle when it got to seeking out a recording deal. So can you share a little insight into the challenges you, you face to hopefully give some inspiration to other artists out there that everybody faces those challenges? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, just like everybody else that, that you know, especially back, you know, 30 years ago when I came to town, uh, you always get turned down uh, once or twice uh, normally, and I, I, I'm sure there are people out there that don't fit that uh, um, definition, but I've been passed over two or three times by every major and independent label in town in the course of 10 years, and um, I would hear things like, you know, from writers saying, hey, I went to RCA today or Warner Brothers, and I played the song you did for me last week, and, and back then we had tapes, we didn't have CDs yet. And they say, and, they, and so-and-so, the A&R person would stop the tape and say, man, is that Buddy Jewel singing? And they'd say, yeah, man, he's great. He sings great. But they never would follow up and saying, and maybe I should sign him to a record deal. Uh, so I struggled with that for 10 years. Uh, you know, they, for whatever reason, some of them thought I didn't look like a star. And uh, that really befuddles me. I, 
I know I'm not going to wind up on the front of GQ, but there's some guys out there record deals I think I'm prettier than. So <laughs> anyway, you know. So, but anyway, it just uh, it wasn't the right timing, and I'm I'm a a believer, and and I, I believe that you know God was working out the right time for me to come along, and and I'm happy and blessed. You know, 20 years later after that show, I'm, I'm getting to do things like talk to you today, and so everything's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely want to touch briefly on the fact that you said there were some that didn't think you looked like a star. And I think that that's one of the most sad things I feel about the entertainment industry, because people, instead of focusing on somebody's talent, they're focusing as well on what somebody looks like when I don't think that should necessarily be a main focus if somebody's talented. I agree. You know, I mean, it doesn't hurt to look the part, obviously. But when you focus on that uh, above talent, then you're you're robbing the really robbing the world of some some great music that people will never get to hear because you're focused solely on physical attributes. Right. Absolutely. And I also think, too, when you get a variety of people from different backgrounds and such as well, it just shows that other people are capable of being in the spotlight and you don't have to fit a certain cookie cutter expectation. So that's definitely a place I feel like the music industry can still grow in that area. Yeah, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear more about your experience with Nashville Star. So what inspired you to try out and be part of this competition in the first place? And then what was your journey to actually winning? That's so incredible. Gotcha. Well, uh, two people were very instrumental in me being on the show. My wife and a friend of mine from church named Richard Johnson. Uh, Richard uh, introduced the idea to, me, idea to me several weeks in a row at church, and he'd say, they're doing this new reality TV show for country singer-songwriters, and you need to go audition. And he was very adamant, and finally, uh, after him bugging me about it three or four weeks in a row, I said, okay, Richard, just to get you off my back, I'll go try out. <laughs> and uh, But I was, I was very, very busy. I was very in demand at the time. Some folks say I was the, the most in-demand male demo singer at the time. I, I, I don't necessarily know that's true but that's what i'm told um and so i had a really heavy studio schedule that week a lot of songs to learn for for studio work and and i remember calling my wife the day of the the uh initial audition the big cattle call of thousands of people down at the country music hall of fame and i said honey i you know i don't think i'm going to do this goofy tv thing you know i'd been on ed mcmahon's star search back in the early 90s i was a vocal a male vocals champion for like three shows. Nothing happened for me there, you know, uh, career-wise. And done all the other, you know, uh, the Marlboro, you know, countdowns or whatever those things are uh, that they used to do at the bars and stuff around the country. And just nothing ever happened. So I was kind of over the whole, you know, competition part of trying to get a record deal. And said, you know, I don't think I'm going to do this. I'm really busy and blah, blah, blah. And I hung up. And my wife today called me back about five minutes later. And she said, uh, you know, we, we left Texas to come here to get you a record deal. And if we're not going to turn over every stone along the way, then we might as well pack up and head back to Dallas. And I, I said, uh, and I said, well, you know, that, that was going to, if I stayed on the show, I was going to be on there for like nine weeks. If I won, I had to be on the nine weeks. And they were, we were sequestered. It's like a jury is like a survivor meets big brother meets American idol. And uh, so they had all 12 contestants locked up essentially in this big house down on Music Row. And I couldn't get out and work. And I'm like, well, how are we going to pay the bills? We had just moved into a new home. We, in fact, we were still 
unpacking boxes when I found out I was going to be on the show. And I'm like, man, how are we going to pay a mortgage? And, <clears throat> and my wife said something uh, very, um, very astute. She said, you know what, buddy? She said, uh, if, if you make it on the show, then God will provide a way for us to pay the bills. And she was right. When I got on the show, I didn't realize that they were paying us, you know, uh, every week to be on the show. And it was more money than I was making uh, doing demos most times. And so it all worked out great. So I, I was worried about, you know, uh, what do they fear? The, the, what is that? It's the, the definition of fear is false evidence appearing real. So I was operating in fear and I shouldn't have been. But it was really cool. I uh, I did that first cattle call. There's probably 10,000 people down there and it took forever. I, I don't know, eight, eight, 10 hours, something like that. Oh my goodness. Just to get in. Yeah, just to get inside the building. Uh, to sing and then there it was like this big pipe and drape setup they had and there were like 20 of these little booths or something and I, 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 uh, well not necessarily 20 but about that number and uh, separated by pipe and drape <clears throat> and so you would be standing there singing for two judges and get you had 30 seconds to sing acapella and they gave you a thumbs up or thumbs down if they both gave you thumbs up you moved on to the next Round and I and I think I actually got to play my guitar, so I should say a cappella. But there was somebody might be singing Elvis on the right of you and Patsy Klein on the left, and you're trying to sing. I was doing Clint Black song Killing Time. And so it is just a madhouse. And uh I kept working my way you know through the evening and finally wound up in the Ford Theater there at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And that's where we met the producers and actually the judges who were going to be on the show with us. Uh got to hear us for the first time. And um and over a, a series of a, a several weeks, they had these uh, cut downs. This was all for the city of Nashville. And I was very blessed. I won the Nashville competition, the area competition, uh, the city competition, excuse me. But then they had the uh, regionals. When they, so they brought in all the winners from the southeast region, the northeast, the west coast and all this stuff. And they also invited people back from uh, my region. Uh, from Nashville that sang in the Nashville competition that lost to me back into the regionals. And one of the girls that I had beat in the city competition beat me in the regional. So I walked away, thought I was off the show. And, um, and they wound up calling me and saying, Hey, um, they've decided to keep 12 contestants, not 10. And tomorrow we're going to set up a phone call with you. We wanted a camera crew to come to your house. We just want to film your reaction. You can't ask any questions of the producer when he calls He's just going to tell you where you, you made it or not. And we want to see, see your reaction. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I was convinced that, hey, this is just camera fodder. You know, they're going to go, hey, thanks for this. Thanks for that. You know, blah, blah, blah. But you're not on the show. You know, better than next time. And it went totally opposite. I mean, the George Vershure, the executive producer, uh, called me. And he started in the, hey, thanks, man, for putting all the time and effort in the show. And we really enjoyed having you, blah, blah, blah. And he said, but looks like you're going to be on the show. And I just, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I think my <laughs> reaction was somebody finally said yes. And, um, and then we were off and running. Uh, I was the oldest person on the show every Saturday night. Pete, it was a live show. You watched it live and nobody knew who was getting voted off. Uh, the first two or three weeks, the judges voted somebody off and then they turned it over to America. And so the, the viewing public voted on who stayed and who went. And uh, I, I thought every Saturday night they're going to kick me off. You know, I, I remember we, we had a bunch of really ugly little T-shirts made up and some 
couple little independent CDs of mine. Uh-huh. They were stuck up on my little website. I was thinking, man, I can just sell enough of those to pay my credit card bill. I'll be happy, Lord, you know. Um, but it was incredible. Every Saturday night would go by and I would still be on the show. And you didn't know who was going off till they went to the last commercial break. Even the cameraman didn't know. And, and <laughs> when they were coming back to, to Nancy O'Dell, who was the host, they would literally, five seconds before they came back live, they would tell the camera crew who to focus their cameras on because that person was leaving. Now, there again, I thought every Saturday it was going to be me. And and then it, we finally got down to the finals. It was myself, John Arthur Martinez, and Miranda Lambert. And lo and behold, uh, I won. And my, John came in second. Miranda came in third. Wild. I tell people, yeah, well, I tell people, you know, she poor child. She came in third, you know, look what it did to her <laughs> career. Uh, and then I maybe I think maybe I tried too hard. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. That's amazing. What a story. Yeah, when I read that you were against Miranda and you won, I was like, wow, what a what a thing to have to your name. <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they can never take that away from me. And I was the first national star and I whooped Miranda's butt. So we're good. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, obviously, this opened many doors for you. So what have been some of your favorite highlights right after this incredible moment when you first launched this career? About three years after I got to Nashville, Porter Wagner called me up one day to hire me to sing demos for him. And long story short, Porter and I became friends. And he tried his darndest to get the people at the Grand Ole Opry to let me sing on the opera, and they wouldn't do it. But three weeks after I won the show, part of the deal was they had to let the winner sing on the Opry. And so that was a huge highlight. I I, I remember my dad, you know, came in, my mom and and Porter, my dad, are standing on the side of the stage, one on each side of me. And you couldn't tell who's more proud, you know, dad or Porter. And uh, so that was a huge highlight for me. Uh, Clint Black uh, was he was on the show with us. He was our mentor and. He was going to produce whoever one he was going to produce their first album. And so I was really excited to have Clint involved and fantastic guy and incredible producer and, and, you know, all the other accolades that go into being Clint Black, a great singer and, and an instrumentalist. And so we had a lot of fun making the record and then just getting out and, and, and seeing the effect uh, in particular that my song uh, helped pour out the rain Lacey's song had on people and at radio was just really overwhelming. It was very humbling. Um, it, it was kind of funny, you know, I, I would, you always dream of that moment when you hear your song on the radio, you know, and so I'd be here in Nashville and, and they go, up next, Buddy Jewel. And I go, all right, I'm going to hear it. And then <laughs> about, a, you know, halfway through the intro, somebody calls and say, hey, you're on whatever radio station. I'm like, I know, I know, hang up so I can listen. <laughs> uh, so anyway, finally, I got to listen to myself. And it was just one of those moments that, um, you know, you, you drink, you never I mean, you try, you dream about it happening, but you know, man, there's a pretty good chance this ain't never going to happen. Mm. And boy, and man, when it does, it's just, uh, you know, just, I just thank God for, for blessing me uh, and putting me in that position and, and, uh, and giving me that. I, I tell people all the time, I, um, I serve in love with God that I think is big enough that, that he, he would create a TV show just to get me a record deal. Cause nobody was going to give me one. Yeah. <laughs> so, Anyway, but uh, so we wound up with the deal and and here we are today. I'm very blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a song that you released that was a huge hit was Sweet Southern Comfort. And you are releasing uh, this 20 year anniversary remix version of it, which I think is incredible. So first of all, like, what was it like for you to 
have such success with the original and then what made you want to release this new version? Well, honestly, it, I, you know, coming up on the 20 year anniversary, it was winning the show and the two first singles coming out and going to number three. And we felt like we needed to do something to celebrate and kind of call attention to it. And, and uh, Brandon Steen, who uh, with, with 417 Entertainment, who does a lot of my booking and helps manage me, came up with the idea of, uh, of redoing Sweet Southern Comfort and me inviting um, some, uh, some friends, fellow artists uh, on it to sing with me. And I was so uh, I just I was just um, I don't know. I was humbled that, that Clint agreed right off the bat. You know, he's the first one I called. And I'm like, hey, you you want the big reason is hit the first time around because you helped me out this time. And so he agreed to play harmonica and sing on it. And, and then Marty Rabin for Shenandoah, uh, one of my favorite country singers of all time. And to get him on it was just a huge thrill. And I just, uh, when I found out that, that David and Howard Bellamy had agreed to be on it, I just, I just flipped. It was like, wow, those guys are icons, you know, they're legends. And, um, and I got to think about it later on, didn't he plan it this way, but we had four, uh, gen four decades of country music. The Bellamy's from the seventies, um, you know, Marty uh, from the ages, essentially Clint from the nineties and me from the two thousands. And so it's, it's been a really cool project. And um, the song, I just, I was in Sweden a few weeks ago. And while I was over there, I found out that, that it went to number one on Cashbox, the independent uh, um, charts. And then uh, and we we just released the video to it a couple weeks ago. And you can see it on cmt.com and other places where they play videos. So having a great second run with Sweet Southern Comfort. And I owe it all to radio and to the fans, you know, for sticking with me. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And I always love hearing when artists reboot older songs. And I'm also curious about the recording process and how you kept the magic and the authenticity from the original, but put a fresh spin on it for this new version. Well, you're giving me way too much credit. <laughs> you know, uh, I will say this. One of the cool things is my band, my road band played uh, on the record. And, uh, and one of the neater things is my oldest son, Buddy the Third, who plays drums for me on the road, he was playing on the record. So that really meant a lot to me. Um, a great friend of mine that plays bass for me and handles my road manager duties and band leading stuff is a fellow named Mitchell Brown. And he's a phenomenal musician and a sweetheart of a guy. And so he put it all together, figured out who should sing where and and uh, really kind of, you know, ramrodded the whole uh, session. So I give uh, Mitchell all the credit for all that other stuff. I just showed up and I, I made some phone calls and sent some text messages and we're lucky, lucky to get three legendary acts on the song with me. So it, I, I can't take any credit for the magic. It was Mitchell. <laughs> what was your experience like with the music video? You know, I, uh, well, it was like herding squirrels. You know, I, uh, when we did the first one, we did it out at these people's, uh, a house, a farm out in Franklin when we, when we shot the video for uh, Sweet Southern Comfort. And, uh, and I just had to be there. And they I didn't even know who was going to be in the video. You know, I'm like, they cast all the characters. In fact, Chris Young is in the video. Oh, wow. He's, he's a teenager. He's the guy kissing the girl on the front porch <laughs> in the video. I didn't, And I knew Chris at the time, but I didn't know he was going to be in the video. And um, anyway, but this time around, you know, it was kind of up to me. You know, the management was going, so can you get in touch with some of your friends? And I'm like, oh, man. Why don't you call them? I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to be told no, you know. And so and when I and so when they agreed to be on the record, they come back and said, well, Would you talk to him about being in the video? And I'm like, oh man, 
you're really stretching me here, you know? And so, uh, they all agreed to do it, which was, I couldn't believe, uh, anyway, they got more talent than sense apparently, but, um, it just trying to catch all three of them. I knew there was no way he was going to get them all three of them in the studio with me at the same time to film, you know, like the whole, the, you know, the classic, you know, standing behind the microphone with the ball cap and headphones on that wasn't going to happen. Uh, not all four of us. So I had to chase these guys around and catch them where I could. So like the Bellamy's were in town to sing for the Opry and uh, they were staying in a hotel and they didn't want to get too far away from the hotel. And I didn't blame them. And luckily my daughter's in-laws uh, Ronnie and Jennifer Swayze, who my wife and I just adore, we're great friends with them. They had a great place out, out at their house in Franklin. So we took the Bellamy's over there and filmed with them there. Um, Clint, uh, I went to his house and filmed in his studio with him. And then Marty was the hardest one to track down because he was really busy. And I literally had to meet his bus at a parking lot at a Kroger when they were getting ready to head to, I think they're going to Arizona or something like that. So he agreed to meet me in the parking lot uh, for, you know, for 10 minutes and, and shoot in the parking lot. So, and then our, the videographer, um, Dusty was phenomenal. Uh, Dusty Barker is his name. I call him Dusty Lenscap, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Dusty is great at finding a location for us to film my parts and uh, the, you know, my performance part in this beautiful uh, home out in the woods. Uh, some, I gosh, I just still can't remember where it was, but it's great scenery. These old barns and, and woods all around. It just really earthy thing. It just kind of, you know, got you right back into that Southern kind of feeling that uh, the first uh, the video did such a great job of doing. So it was fun making it, but it was a hassle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it sounds like quite the adventure, but I'm happy it turned out yeah. well for you. Me too. Me too. So aside from all the things you mentioned so far, what do you think your favorite moment from this whole reboot of this song has been? Gosh, well, you know, when I came to the realization that 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 those three legendary acts cared about me and liked me enough to take their time to be part of it, um, that really hit home with me one day. I was I was thinking, I thought, gosh, buddy, you know, those guys could have easily said no. And, and you couldn't have blamed them. You know I mean? They, you know, they just, they did it as a favor to me. And when you think about all the people they know and all the people pulling at them from different directions and they said yes to me and they've had to say no to a lot of other people, it just uh, was um, uh, just a very, like, I keep using the word humble, but it was, it was a humbling experience for me to know that those guys cared enough about me to be part of my project. So that was probably the biggest thing for me to have that appreciation from I guess you'd say my peers yeah absolutely well congratulations on the release thank you absolutely so I cannot believe it but we're approaching the end of 2023 pretty soon there's you know uh, we're recording this in September but this will be dropping in October three months left three months left so what's left for you with the rest of the year and any plans for next year Oh gosh, you know, I'm slowly but surely trying to write for a new record. It may take me five months. It may take me five years. You know, I just, I, I um, I'm not really pressed on getting it done. I just want to make the best record I can. I don't necessarily want to record, uh, want to do record just my songs, but I definitely want to have a hand in, in some of them, like I've done in my past records, uh, the the ones I did for for Columbia. Uh, I want to choose great songs. I want to put put out great music. And then as far as the rest of this year, um, we have been uh, all over the continent already this year. I was in the Faroe Islands in uh, June. 
Um, last month we were in uh, Denmark, Sweden. I leave for Ireland tomorrow. And then uh, we're going to be in Spain, Austria, and Germany in October. And, wow. And then plan a bunch here in the States as well. So still going strong, you know, praise <laughs> God. And uh, just just uh, getting out and appreciating the fans and enjoying, you know, uh, them celebrating this 20 years with me has been a lot of fun so far. Absolutely. And I love how you're taking the time you need with the new record. I think it's really important as songwriters and artists to not rush anything. And it sounds like you're really being thoughtful with the whole process and making sure you're creating the best work you can. Well, I appreciate that. Keep me in your prayers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I> need <laughs> for sure. So to wrap up, what advice do you have for any independent songwriters? Oh, wow. Well, you know, when I got here 30 years ago, I hadn't done much co-writing. And when I got to Nashville, that was the big thing to do. And, and it still is. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they you get two, three writers in on a song. You, you're more productive that way. You write more songs. And that gives you a better chance at, at getting a, a cut, uh, which could lead to a hit, which could lead to going to the bank and picking up money. And um, so independent songwriters, I think networking is probably the biggest thing. Uh, thing and, and luckily with social media the way it is nowadays and electronic media and, and digital stuff it's a lot easier to do uh you know i mean just like you and i talking today um you know over google uh you can get on you can skype right with people all over the world uh don't have to be in the same building with them and still be creative and and uh, uh feel like they're right there with you and in, in, in the moment so I, uh, I really encourage young writers, especially, you know, it's like a muscle. The more you write, the more you flex that muscle, the stronger it gets. And, and that's the way it is with writing as well. And, uh, you know, you, you, if you go to write with a pro writer, I found this out early on. It's your job to bring great ideas to the guy that knows how to write songs. And then so you do your job and then they'll teach you just by you being part of it. You'll see. Uh, there's certain ways to craft songs and, and uh, just kind of watch how these guys work with, I say guys, gals too, alliteration and rhyme schemes and, um, you know, chord progressions and things like that, that all go into, you know, writing a, a hit song. And it's, it's, there's no formula. Otherwise uh, you would have to pay to talk to me today, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, uh it's uh, but that's what I encourage young writers to do. Network. Uh, when I came to town, I started going to writers' nights. They they have them all over Nashville. Still do, and it's a great place to go out and hear uh, new music and meet new people and uh, and become friends with with, uh, with them and and sit down and writing and hopefully you know getting something getting the magic out of it. So that's that's what I uh, uh, the advice I give them. And then the other advice I give is don't let anybody steal your dreams and that means take your uh, life savings you're going to get people say give me ten thousand dollars and i can get you on the radio or give me twenty thousand dollars and i you know you'll be a star i'll get you signed to this and that run run, <laughs> yeah. run if they want any of your money because the truth is if they really believe in you then they'll put their money up for you yeah and absolutely. Uh, and anybody that's wanting your money is just wanting your uh -huh. money. <laughs> Absolutely. Great advice. Well, it was fabulous having you on the show. Can you please share with everybody where they can find you online and check out all of your music and tour dates? I sure will, Demi Michelle. Johnny, tell them what they won. Uh, you can uh, check me out at buddyjewel.com, and that's Jewel with two L's, J-E-W-E-L-L. -L. 
I've got merchandise there. You get all my news. Every Tuesday night, I do a Facebook Live at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. I've been doing that for six years. I do a 30-minute live thing. I sing. I talk. I read people's names, which seem to really thrill them. And um, I'm I'm, uh, on Instagram. I'm at, uh, or I'm the Buddy Jewel on Instagram with two L's, all one word, lowercase. And on Facebook, I am Buddy Jewel. Uh, There's lots of imposters out there, so be careful. You know, my um, my Facebook icon is me in a cream colored hat and a blue shirt smiling and uh, the uh, pivot, pivot, pivotal, 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 <laughs> <laughs> please circle with the white check mark. You got to look for that to find me on Facebook because there are tons of people out there acting like they're me. I can't imagine what it's like for guys like <laughs> Tim McGraw. <laughs> you know? uh, anyway, but, so be careful who you're talking to. You know, if they're wanting you to send a private message or whatever, it's not. I don't private message, you know. You can email me and I, I answer. I don't private message. It's wild to me that people impersonate people. Like, why? <laughs> I, I, apparently, they don't have anything better to do. <laughs> you know, what a, a sorry existence. <laughs> feel sorry for <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, it's awesome having you on the show. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this chat with Buddy Joel. And, of course, until next time, stay, stay right, right on, on track. track. <laughs>